night, the world-famous Bonneville Holiday Hams will be returning for their annual live Christmas radio play at 8 p.m. right here on Cairo News Radio and streaming, of course, our resident historian, Felix Spinell, who also happens to be the producer and the director What a coincidence. It is. <laughs> Very prestigious titles. Is here with a little preview, and we are all going to do a little bit of <clears throat> early morning radio thespianism. Right. Yes, yes. So stand by. You won't want to. Don't leave the radio here. Um, so, okay, we're performing a Christmas carol live on the radio with live actors and live sound effects. Um, like all great radio programming, it's live, local, and free, right? Yeah. Uh, it's in the 8 p.m. hour tomorrow night on Cairo Nights. Now, Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens wrote that, was published in 1843. That's 180 years ago. So it's the 180th anniversary. Gosh. It's been performed on the radio since the very earliest years of radio drama in the 1920s. It's a great and timeless story with great characters. Now, this is the 24th annual holiday radio play that I produced. It began for me as a little cheap holiday programming when I was a deputy director at the Museum of History and Industry, and I was totally inspired by Jim French, the late Cairo host. He was doing Keeping Radio Drama Alive all throughout the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s. And so this, the DNA of the show is re- tied into this station for decades, which is pretty cool. Now, Cairo's carried it, the live radio Christmas play, I think since 2010 or 2012. Ask a real historian if you want the facts on that. Um, <laughs> I want to give, before we do our little scene, I want to do a little peek uh, behind the drama casting preview who's going to be in the show tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, um, David Burbank, I'm always trying to butter up that guy, so he's in it, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jake Scorheim had to give him a part. It's during his show, right? Um, <laughs> Aaron Granillo, you know, the afternoon anchor, he agreed on only on the condition there'd be free pizza for the cast. Always. I'm not making that up. Um, <laughs> Kate Stone, who's very enthusiastic and who offered to do the whole thing as a one-woman show. <laughs> she could do it. So she, if, could. If, she could do if, it. If, you know, if traffic interferes, yeah. something happens tomorrow night, and it's just Kate and me tomorrow yeah. night, we will do the show. Uh, hell, hell or high water. Um, Nick Kratia, the man in our midst with titanic talents and a thousand voices. You might remember him as the Russian captain in Dracula. Last year, remember that? Anyway. Right. Not, not, not a Russian accent, I think, this show. Um, Lisa Brooks, our evening anchor, uh, expertly narrating and singing. Uh, Diane Duthweiler is going to be a very festive Mrs. Fezziwig. And Mr. Fezziwig is my favorite character. I usually cast myself in that part. Um, and then Jack Stein, against my better judgment, but we'll see how he turns out. Um, and then Aaron Mason as Scrooge himself, playing against Great type, cast. of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm bummed today. I, I hate missing any radio. I think I've been a part of the Halloween and Christmas one for every year since you've done it, yeah, and I have and, to miss this one. And honestly, you know, we scheduled this pretty late, because I'm, <laughs> I'm working on this big project for our parent company in Salt Lake City that yeah. takes up most of my time yeah, I these think days. you told me about it on Friday, and I was like, hey, yeah. Usually, I, I usually, you know, I'm sitting at home with nothing to do. I plan this six, eight months in advance, and I'm like, <laughs> You know, can, 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 you know two, two, anyway. But we're going to scratch that itch but, tonight, But that's the right? beauty of radio, right? So in the scene we're going to do this morning, it's relatively early in the play. The ghost of Christmas past, as played by Travis, <clears throat> takes old Scrooge, played by Nick, to watch young Scrooge, played by David Burbank, um, have an interaction with his fiancée, Belle, played by Colleen. So we always start this off with a little bit of music. Let me see if I can get this music to play here. After the music starts, you guys do your drama magic. Have I given you enough direction? As a director, have I given you enough about your, you know, your motivation? More than you, know? you usually give us before <laughs> we go live, honestly. Okay. You're sounding like a seasoned vet over there. <laughs> yeah, please do the your bad English accents, right? Because oh, we, we can never get oh, it very I straight. Do, I don't know. No, I mean, try, even, if it, even if it sounds Australian or <laughs> Afrikaans or whatever, 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 especially if it changes during the oh, scene, then you get extra points. That always so, happens. All right, here we start with our little musical cue. This 
this is our last visit to the past, Ebenezer. Here in this little room with a fair young girl by your side, do you recognize yourself, Ebenezer? No, 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 no. Spare me this. You are older now. A man in the prime of life thinking about running for office. Or uh, maybe playing volleyball like George Santos. Your face has begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. You squint a lot. A lot, I say. Clear your throat, and you often stumble getting on and off airplanes. And you look so much older than you did just four years ago. Your eyes are greedy. The eager, restless eyes of a miser. No, no, please. She knows it, too, that girl by your side. There are tears in her eyes. Listen, Ebenezer. It matters little to you. Very little. I know that. Belle. Have I changed towards you? When we were engaged, we were both poor. Was it better then? Better to be poor? Better at least to be happy. You've changed. You were another man then. I was a boy. You blame me because I've grown wiser. Have I ever tried to break our engagement? In words, no. In what? In what then? Don't interrupt me. (laughs) In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in everything that made my love of any value in your sight. So, I release you from your promise. Belle! Oh, at first it may cause you pain to lose me. A very brief pain, but soon it will be dim like a half-remembered dream, an unprofitable dream. And you will be glad to be awake from such a dream. No! May you be happy in the life you've chosen, Ebenezer, for the love of whom you once loved. Spirit, that's enough! Show me no more! Take me home! These were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame no, no, me. No, no, no more. No more. No. Yes, Ebenezer. One shadow more. Come, Scrooge. I didn't. I wanted more bad English accents here, but I'm, I'll give you extra credit for not reading the like within the parentheses where it says very anguished. That's thanks for, <laughs> thanks for not reading the stage directions. That was good. And with the amount of direction you got, I think that was pretty darn good. That's just a little taste of what's to come tomorrow night with our I other love cast. Love these plays so much. So tune in tomorrow night at eight o'clock. It'll be a podcast if you can't if you can't listen to it live. Now one other thing, quick thing I want to mention today. It's just, it's December sixth. It's Saint Nicholas Day, right? So Santa Claus. In 1943, Santa Claus photos, department store photos, were invented in Seattle. What? I had no idea. A PI photographer, Art French, the PI's building used to be a kitty corner from Frederick and Nelson, which is now uh, Nordstrom. Yeah. He was sitting there watching kids line up for Santa Claus and thought, you know, I could take pictures of that. So a year later, in 1944, he set up a little franchise and took pictures. And he took really good pictures with a large format camera. And there's a Santa named Dave Harris, who was also a radio actor, played Santa at Frederick's from 1942 to 1968 or something like that. And so on my Facebook page, I'm collecting people's pictures. I put a post up last night and more than 20 people have already posted their vintage Santa Claus department store photos. And you get extra points if it's Dave Harris, this Frederick Nelson Santa Santa Claus, or just any vintage Santa Claus from anywhere around the Northwest. I want to see how many we can collect over the next couple weeks. We'll put something on my Northwest, but Facebook, my Facebook page is a place to go. It's a terrific local story. Not many people remember. Have you noticed that like vintage Santas didn't try very hard? 
the what beard's always kind of askew. Oh, oh and, no, not Dave Harris. Dave no, Harris, Dave he's Harris. like he's look at there's in the photos. It's it's it, the the they're so rich because it's a, a a beautiful large format camera. There's all this detail. A lot of times the camera was hidden, and so the kid doesn't even know. Oh, like cool. Art, Art French yeah. snaps a picture at just That's the right cool. moment. Wow. I think in that 1944 year, he did it the first time. He took like three weeks off from the PI. He made four times his annual salary. Oh yeah, of course so, he did. I don't think I'm going to be taking pictures yeah. of the PI. I'm going to work three yeah. weeks a year and make four times. Make, <laughs> anyway, but it's a, it's a great national thing that has its origins right here in Crazy. Seattle. And these just beautiful, beautiful photos. So go to my Facebook page and share your Santa photos there so everyone can look at them. Let's see how many hundreds we can collect before it gets to be Christmas time 2023. Let's do it. Felix, thank you very much. The holiday season is in full swing at Treehouse, Washington's leading supporter of children and foster care. Cairo News Radio partners with Treehouse on a fundraiser known as Holiday Magic. Cairo News Radio's James Lynch has more. The holiday season is a time to think of others and for others to think of us. But for some children in foster care, that kind of support is not a given. That's when Treehouse steps in. Dawn Rains is CEO. We have partnered with our community to ensure that we can meet the needs of students in foster care. We were founded to do all the things that the foster care system doesn't do for our young people. For 35 years, Treehouse has been Washington's leading organization providing education and other essential support for children in foster care. You know, these are the kids for whom the state has become parent, essentially, and they deserve special support and attention. Treehouse relies heavily on community donations to provide children in foster care a quality of life they might not otherwise enjoy. Those foster care stipends that foster parents receive to take care of our young people for whom the state has become parent just don't stretch far enough to pay for all of those little extra things that we all do as parents. We provide things like you know, participation in sports or, you know, piano lessons or summer camp, you know, all those, all those things. And that brings us to Holiday Magic, a Treehouse annual fundraiser. Along with everything Treehouse does to support youth in foster care year-round, helping to provide a happy, normal holiday season is critically important, and community support is crucial. We rely on community contributions and donations to support all of the work that we do. Overall, about 60% of our budget comes from the community directly. The Holiday Magic program makes the holidays brighter for more than 5,000 children and youths in foster care throughout Washington. Holiday Magic really makes sure that kids have that one important, significant holiday gift under the tree or, you know, for their whatever their holiday observance is. Oftentimes, our foster families can't afford to provide the kinds of things that we would all do for our young people, the kids in our families. And so um, we hope to, uh, through Holiday Magic, provide a brighter holiday, making sure that every kid in foster care has something to open on Christmas morning. A happy holiday season indeed. James Lynch, Cairo News Radio. Last year, Holiday Magic provided $366,000 in gifts to kids in foster care. If you'd like to help, text MAGIC to 888-973-5476 or head to MyNorthwest.com slash Holiday Magic. Seattle's Morning News. Good morning. I'm Colleen O'Brien. Travis Mayfield is with us and Matthew Gardner, too, Windermere's chief economist. And we have a lot of questions. I want to start with the November numbers, though. I was taking a look at them. And um, of course, you know, we always see pending sales and, and closing sales in Kings, Nohomish, Pierce. Thurston County, though, was up there. And that was really interesting to me to see them up 
by like Snohomish County numbers. Especially some of these smaller markets, they, they can you can have some fairly extreme um, swings either way, up and down. Uh, and Thurston County, Thurston County is an interesting one. Uh, it tends to be relatively stable only for the fact of its exposure to government uh, and certainly obviously education. And so it's a very stable employment place, relatively speaking. Uh, and the housing market is one which kind of really doesn't go too mad either direction. Mm-hmm. But I think more importantly is a function of the fact that it's less them growing, it's more the tri-county area dropping. Mm. Uh, I mean, right now, if you look at active listings, we're, month over month, we're down what, 15% in King County, 16%, I think. Is that uh, just the time Spanish. of the year, though? Um, and it is, certainly, because we do tend to see that drop off in November and December. But if you think about it year on year, well, we're down 20% from the same period, same month of November uh, last year. Uh, I mean, listings, it's better than 2020 or 2021, but we are well, well below the levels you'd uh, you'd expect to see uh, in a normalised market. I mean, my numbers go back to 1999. Mm, is it still not a great time to buy based on prices and, of course, interest rates? Well, when it comes to pricing, uh, and pricing is interesting. Uh, I think that uh, we have seen a correction on the downside. Of, I, I like listing, looking at list prices over sell prices. Sell prices are lagging, right? It's looking backwards, list of where the market is today. And certainly over the last several months, home sellers have been a bit more you know, full of themselves. There's, there's nothing else out there to buy, so therefore I'm going to get whatever I want. Uh, well, not, not quite so much. And certainly uh, interest rates have played uh, a fairly major role in that as well. But uh, I think when we look at the market in, in general, certainly... Uh, it has softened from where the peak was, but we're really kind of treading water. Big question is going to be on mortgage rates. And where does inventory stand? Do we have a lot of houses on the market, not many houses? I mean, has that changed at all? Because in my neighborhood, I just don't see the signs. I don't see folks selling their homes. And, and you won't. Uh, and it's, it's down. I mean, literally year on year, let's say in King County, we're down 20% uh, from the same month uh, in 2022. So the big issue now, it really revolves around mortgage rates. And people are almost got those golden handcuffs right now. Uh, they're locked in. If I haven't got data, I wish I did uh, more myopically, but Washington State that I do, I mean, over 86% of homeowners with a mortgage have got rates at 5% or lower. So all of a sudden, why would you look to sell and lose that rate you've never seen before, likely never to be seen again? So if you, unless you have to move, you're not moving. And therefore, that makes an inventory crunch not out there. So the buyers who are still out there, they're not finding as much choice in the market as they'd like to see. And we're not building a ton of new homes either. We're not. I mean, certainly new construction has taken a a bit of a bigger market share, but only because of the fact that we've got builders now buying down mortgage rates and and trying to understand the fact the resale market is so poor, taking a bit more. But ultimately, the problem, as we've talked about uh, over the years, is we've run out of land. And that makes land costs of what there is left very expensive, then add in labour and material costs. Material, well, material costs have softened a bit, but it's still very expensive. If you're a builder now, unless you're selling a home for almost close to $2 million, you're not going to make any money. Let's, so why would you? Yeah, let's talk inflation. Mm. Uh, I get that the headlines keep saying inflation is easing. It is. I just don't think individuals <laughs> feel that way. I feel like I'm being lied to because every time I leave the grocery store, I feel like I need to file for bankruptcy. <laughs> All right, so um, I mean, right now, a core... 
The core inflation rate excludes food and energy in the most volatile sectors. It's a 4%. That's the lowest since May of 2021. But, so inflate, except for everything that's essential to live, and, and inflation that, is easing. And that is exactly right. Okay. Um, because it's one thing that people look at, right? They can look at how much it's going to cost them to fill their gas tank up, how much it's going to cost them at the grocery store. Remarkably, remarkably expensive still. Um, is it getting better, though? Oh, y- yes, it is. Just not as quickly as we would like to see it. Now... Yeah, ultimately, yeah, it is going to get back to where it, where the Fed would like it. But that's going to be at least another year away from where we are. But the trend is still getting better. And so we'll get the next print in a couple of weeks. I think it's going to show even further easing in inflation. But again, we are not going to feel it. But that is being offset by increased wages. Though. Okay. If you can get your hands on some of those increased wages, yeah, always a good thing to negotiate. Uh, you say it'll take maybe another year before we get back to reasonable inflation rates, or at least back to where we're comfortable. A presidential election is going to play a part in this, though. Any predictions of disruptions in that progress? <laughs> um, ultimately, yes. And, and that's the, obviously the, the big question. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what tends to happen in election year is... The stock markets tend to do nothing. They tend to really kind of tread water because they want to see who's going to be in, in the White House next. Big problem for the Fed, though, is as we know, the Fed's got a, what's called a dual mandate. Full employment, stable inflation. That, that's their job. And they can do that in one way by raising uh, or lowering one particular interest rate. And they certainly raise them now. I think that uh, Powell's probably... I'll be very surprised to see them raise interest rates any further. The question is going to be how quickly are they going to drop them? I mean, the market is arguing now uh, that we'll see it start to come back in the first quarter of next year. But the quandary they're going to have is it will be considered to be a political move. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. I mean, Powell, to keep his job, could definitely lower those inflation rates leading up to November. Do we typically see that happen? No. Or the I mean, Fed it, doesn't play politics? It, it, oh, no, it doesn't. It, it is an apolitical yeah, uh, entity, yeah. period. That's end of story. So, uh, but it, however, it's the view of the world on it, uh, on them, is, well, uh, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, well, if you're lowering rates, then you're doing it for, for a particular reason. Mm. Whereas in reality, no, it's just economics. I mean, numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. And it's black and white. Uh, but it will always be considered that, especially in today's remarkably bifurcated uh, political era. Is the fear of recession gone? Um it, it, certainly, it is a lot more tame than we had seen it. Now, for the last nine months, I've been saying I, I don't see a recession. The numbers just weren't showing it to me. However, there are some very old indices, inverted yield curves, all kinds of weird stuff like that, that says, oh, no, we, we have to have one, especially when the Fed jumps in, because every time they raise rates to slow inflation, what happens? We have a recession. They've got it wrong all bar two times in history. So that, that was the presumption. However, more and more people now are saying, hmm, I think a soft landing is achievable. And certainly uh, my models haven't changed. They've always said, yeah, we could see one negative quarter uh, of economic growth next year. But uh, but quite frankly, no, I, I'm just not seeing it yet. So I think the, the market is still well, hedging itself because it doesn't want to be proved to be wrong. Uh, but the overall worry of a any form of significant uh, contraction, that's pretty much gone away. Chief Windermere economist Matthew Gardner, thank you for joining us. As always, a pleasure. Take care. 
Welcome back to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Travis Mayfield in for Dave Ross, along with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan at the traffic desk. So a big change this week for who can donate blood in our area. We're joined now by Dr. Kirsten Alcorn. She is the co-chief medical officer at Bloodworks Northwest. So, doctor, tell us what is this change that is taking effect this week for everyone? Well, it really is a change that affects a lot of donation criteria that were updated temporarily during the COVID pandemic and have now been expanded. And this is the exciting part where we are now shifting our criteria from men who have sex with men being deferred for three months, which going back to 1985, had been permanent. Uh, And now um, they can donate, not by virtue of that categorization, but by risk factors based on their own individual behavior. I'm going to be honest and say that I'm a gay man. I'm a married gay man, and I have never in my life donated blood because in my lifetime, it has never I have never qualified because of exactly what you're talking about. But these changes mean that I will be able to walk into Bloodworks Northwest and answer some very simple questions and I could qualify. Yes, indeed. And congratulations. Thank you very much. It is needed too a a larger donor pool. Why the changes now? And are the changes happening because it's been determined those rules were discriminatory or are they changing because more donors are needed? They're really changing because the science has improved, (laughs) despite all the other things you mentioned, which are pieces of this. They would not probably move the dial unless we had the science to back it up. And so, of course, that's been getting evaluated for a long time, and it does take a pretty long time to accumulate enough information to know uh, whatever kind of change might be beneficial. In this case, studies have shown that certain risk factors and behavior-based risk factors certainly bring a greater risk for transfusion-transmitted infection. Of course, HIV is one of the most concerning of those infections. The United Kingdom implemented a change very similar to ours about two years ago, and they have had um, a really good success with it. It's been well accepted by their donors, and it has not adversely affected the safety of the blood supply. Based on that success, Canada implemented it uh, last fall. And so now we in the U.S. have their data to see that the blood supply uh, safety was maintained and we were able to open up the donor pool. So we're we're moving ahead with it now. It to, to me and why it's always seemed discriminatory was it felt like I was just picked out for being gay um, because of sort of this historic stigma associated with HIV. But but this seems to just change the questions. You basically just ask everyone the same question and me, whether I'm gay or not, can answer the question. I'm in a monogamous relationship with my husband or whoever is gay or straight. And that means I can donate. It seems like a much more straightforward way of just getting to the risk factors. Definitely. And it also accounts for people in other groups who um, have the same behaviors, right? It doesn't pick and choose based on a social categorization. What does this mean for the Bloodworks Northwest blood supply? It's been hurting since the pandemic. 
Yeah, we welcome anybody who would be qualified to donate blood at any time. So we think this just expands the number of people who will be eligible. We know that a large proportion of the adult population is eligible to donate blood and a very tiny fraction of those folks actually don't do it. Uh, we need at least a thousand donations a day just to get through day-to-day -day needs. And when when we see any drop-off in that, we really feel it across our community. So we're we're very excited to do things that open up the donor pool, um, increase eligibility for anybody when that makes sense. That was Dr. Kirsten Alicorn. She is the co-chief medical officer at Bloodworks Northwest. That change officially starting today. So if you are a, a gay man who has never been allowed to donate blood before, today might be your day to go in and donate some blood and save a life. And that is a very big deal. Yeah, one of our texters, too, reaching out saying, same boat. I'm type O negative. They need more of that stuff. So uh, the donor pool has opened up. Uh, I imagine walking through the doors of a blood donation center might feel a bit monumental, mm. maybe emotional. Um, you know, I asked that question. I'm not sure if it was included in this interview about, you know, how are staff being trained? Mm -hmm. Because you've already faced discrimination your whole life about this. The last thing you want to do is walk in and get a phlebotomist who might go... I guess we're taking, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I that's always exactly worry right. about that yeah. type of discrimination too, where it's, it's so easy to do that. But uh, you know, I'm just happy that she says the science is still there, but the science has been there a long time. It has been there a long time. Yeah. This has been something. And what's interesting here is that the FDA made this change earlier this year, months ago, and Bloodworks Northwest basically needed to do what exactly what you're talking about, ensure that everyone in their organization was trained so there wasn't any confusion about who could and who couldn't. Um, and what's interesting here is that it's basically like a questionnaire that every, and screening that every single person who comes in, you're going to be asked all the same questions. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer just, oh, well, you're a gay man. And you've had sexual contact with other men. So like you're excluded from this outright. Now it's everyone is asked the same questions. Mm -hmm. And if you can say, I'm uh, you know, a gay man, I'm in a monogamous relationship. I have, the, you know, all the I, I meet all of this criteria. Then there's just no question that you will get to donate your blood. It is 2023. Yeah, and this is progress. That's right. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, yes, the science did take a little bit of time to catch up here, but this is really something that should have changed years ago. Um, but here we are. And this is a very monumental day. And I will say that I know many gay men over the years. You know, there have been times, crises where things have happened and and then Bloodworks or other organizations have said, we need blood. Begging for blood. Yeah. And, and, and I myself have, I mean, I've done these stories where I'm literally interviewing somebody and they're like, we need blood. And I'm thinking, I would love to donate. Right. And I just can't because right. you will tell me that you don't want my blood. And, and that's a very personal thing to be told. Absolutely. And direct. Yes. Right. It is easy to. I just want to tell people I had a phlebotomist friend for a long time. She was the first person to ever help me donate blood. And as long as you're not squeamish around needles, which I am not, I like to watch yeah. all of it. It's very rewarding and you get a treat at the end. You can also do platelets, which is a really fun process to watch where they take your blood, they spin it, they get the white blood cells out, the plasma and all that. And it, it really is one of those um, community based volunteer donation processes that is really easy to do. And, you know, 
know you're saving a life. So and fascinating. They're all so smart that I'll yeah. just sit there and just ask them question after question about blood, and you get to learn so much too. So enjoy this newfound freedom, and uh, happy donating. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that was tough to get through, Sully. A little. Miss your family. Good job with that one. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. Young medical patients have a chance to explore the deep blue sea from their hospital room. How? Well, CBS's Mark Strassman has the story. At Tampa's Florida Aquarium, two guests charted new waters. This robotic tour guide... There's a very large honeycomb ray cruising by the window there. And nine-year-old Gavin Benyon in a hospital bed two miles away. You want to say hi to my friend Gavin? Hi, Gavin. The backstory: a shared inspiration. We see a robot, light bulb goes off. A partnership between Roger German and John Kouris, the CEOs at the aquarium and Tampa General Hospital. I thought it was a great idea. It's tough being chronically ill, particularly when you're a kid. I got to imagine it's a chance to get the kid patient out of the hospital without ever leaving the room. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Because you're now getting the sense that you were there. I think they're getting breakfast. Yeah, I think so. Gavin Benyon's getting treatment for an autoimmune disorder. But in this moment, he got to forget all that. You get to see the things that you really like to see. He steered the robot from a laptop, mapping out his own aquarium tour. Talking to anyone walking with the robot, like CEO German. There's his face, right? He's got his T-shirt here. He's got, you know, wheels, which, you know, gives him the mobility. Or me. What made it feel like the real thing? That, like, this technology makes it look so real. And it's crazy how it does it. It's heartwarming. It is therapeutic, but it also builds resiliency. And it helps with the healing process. And to include kids who would otherwise be excluded. Absolutely. Yeah. You see him coming down? A robot in an aquarium, helping sick kids feel under the sea and over the moon. Mark Strassman, CBS News, Tampa. Joining us now from the G and Ursula show, which can be heard nine to noon here on Cairo News Radio. G Scott, G. So there's this new report from Wallet Hub ranking the best and the worst cities in the U.S. for single adults, and apparently Seattle ranks number one mm-hmm. on the best list. Mm. I thought it was the worst list, but it's the best list. Yeah. And they looked at three things: economics, fun, recreation, and dating opportunities. So they didn't look at the most important thing. What's that? Personalities. <laughs> <laughs> I, what? I, I, okay. This is all based on evidence from single friends who are on dating apps who can't seem to find a decent person to date. Sometimes it's not them, it's them. Yeah. Oh. Hey, why are you going to talk about my friends like that, Jim? No, no. I, right? <laughs> like, okay. Sully, everybody, let me, let me ask y'all this. Do you know of or have that friend and or family member that's always, oh, I can't find anyone. Oh, that person this and oh, that person's that. Meanwhile, you're like, have you took a look at yourself? <laughs> 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 Let's All right. Very All well. Right. I just All think right. it's funny that we, we can be number one in dating and nobody looked at like the dating pool. They just looked at oh, what's around them. Nine months out of the year, we don't leave the okay. house. Yeah. So, so let's get to Wallet Hub's analyst, Cassandra yeah. Happ. She had this to say. It's important to read this, you guys. Where you live can have a big impact on your love life. Yeah. If a city has a high population of singles and is packed with activities that you'll enjoy, then you'll have a better chance to meet someone with similar interests and can go on higher quality dates. Now, 
It all depends. What do you want? What's important to you? If you live in Seattle area, let's keep it a buck, y'all. Money's really important. You cannot live here without making or being a part of or living with your mom and daddy. Money is important. So let's get that out of the way. Well, guess where is number one in the top in the country when it comes to median and annual income? Hmm. Seattle at $70,000 a year. Now, you want to go to North Dakota? Go to North Dakota. You might meet a great guy. He lives with me, Ma. He makes about $25,000 a year. Maybe it's South Dakota, but the oil over there, there's money over there. Let me tell you. How many times have you met somebody that says, I'm from South Dakota and I've come from oil? I, I had a friend and her husband move specifically to get into the oil business. Having visited there twice in the last year? Yeah. There ain't a lot to do. <laughs> That's the so second uh, thing, though, G, is fun got? and recreation. And so money's number one. Number two, fun and recreation. We got lots to do around here. <laughs> Thank you. You're yeah. proving my point. We do. So, like, if you're we not, do. if you're, let's just say you don't like sports. Right then, if you don't, if if you don't like sports, (laughs) like Sully said, going to North Dakota is not the thing to do. Right, you're gonna probably want to do something else. Here in the Seattle area, we got sports, we got camping, we got hiking, we got all kinds of stuff. The ferries, the scenery, the beauty, Sully and the traffic, everything. <laughs> How t- so if I'm stuck in traffic, I can roll down my window hey, and meet somebody. I mean, right, right. You, don't, you don't know. There's a lot of things that happen in traffic. That's anyway, so cute. I guess so. Cute. So like again, so money, yeah. activities, right? Those are, those are the things to do right there. And look, I will say this. If, if money isn't number one, then you might want to get up out of Seattle because it's not a fun place to be. You can find you a tech guy, a tech gal, and all. There's a lot of folks. Plus, I also believe people that live here. I'm not even exaggerating. People are smart. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we do. You ever hear me out for a second? Y'all live. We all live here. You ever sometimes go have conversations with folks across the country? Let that simmer for a second. Come on now. You yeah. said it. <laughs> Love y'all. All right, G-Scott. with that, I expect all my single friends to find their match now. I'll just tell them. But G said it's the best place to find. Log into the text line right now and see what the reaction is. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.